Over the past three years, the Breaking Sales Podcast has released over 100 episodes aimed at helping sales professionals and leaders develop a high-performance mindset. Now we're looking back at our favorite moments from the past episodes to create the best of series. We've not done this before. We will feature curated conversations on select topics that will help you approach your conversations and relationships with more intentionality. In this particular episode, we'll be taking a look at three conversations focused on one of the most powerful performance mindsets, detachment. This is the mindset that allows you to remove the distracting emotions of labeling and or assigning a value, good or bad, to what you are observing, hearing, or experiencing. It's powerful. It's the mindset that gives you the calmness and the conviction to handle any stressful conversation. In this first clip, Pam and I discuss why detachment is such an important part of establishing a high-performance mindset, why it's so difficult for sales professionals to achieve, and we're gonna provide four tips on how to achieve it. If you wanna hear the entire episode, scroll back to episode 102, Four Methods of Detachment. For our listeners, what would be very helpful is Pam and I came up with the four tactics of detachment. And Dan knows this. I feel, listeners, detachment is the toughest of the three components on the mindset piece that we coach. Not only is it the toughest, but my opinion is it makes high intent and abundance. Like detachment is the foundation for being able to execute on all three of the mindsets effectively. So I love talking about detachment. It's also the hardest one, like you said. Oh, absolutely. All right. So Pam, let's talk about these tactics, right? Because detachment can be overwhelming. I've heard it how many times? Dan, are you saying that I have to go into this appointment that took me six months to get and you don't want me to care? (laughs) (laughs) And that sounds pretty rude too, Dan, (laughs) that I shouldn't care. And that is not what detachment means. Absolutely not. Nor does detachment mean you're irreverent. I mean, I've heard this periodically. Well, Dan and Pam say (laughs) that when I go into this appointment, I just need to kind of sit back and listen and just tell the prospect that I'm here to learn. (laughs) I don't care where this goes. I don't care where it goes. I have no expectations. I'm just here to learn. No, that is not detachment either. (laughs) I like to say detachment is your ability to demonstrate your neutrality to the other human being that may or may not trust you quite yet and may not understand what your motives are behind the conversation. I love that, Pam. And I'm going to add another component or another theme of detachment. Maybe I even would call this an outcome to detachment. Okay. Are you ready? When we're truly detached, we feel less pressure. When we feel less pressure, we perform so much better. Great way to say it. That is what's so important about detachment. It reduces our own pressure so we can perform conversationally or in the clutch, whether it's a negotiation or whatever, at such a higher level. Agreed. So let's get into the four tactics. Okay. Give us tactic number one, Dan. Tactic number one, the way I say it is let go of the outcome of the conversation. That's all it means. Don't think forward. If you have a 30-minute discussion, 
Don't be thinking about minute 31. All right, Pam, you want to share tactic number two? Tactic number two, there is no good or bad in what somebody shares with you. So I love this one. This is the one that's always been the hardest for me is tempering how I respond to what comes out of another person's mouth. It's not good and it's not bad. It's just information. And my job is to understand it. I love that. All right. So number three, this one's a little bit more interesting. It's still tactical. It's learning how to not let the other person or the group, client or prospect sitting across from you. It's learning not to allow their vibe, their energy, or their demeanor throw you off. (laughs) Why are you laughing, Pam? Because I have a really good example of this one. Last year, I had a prospect meeting. And as you can imagine, just like all of you listeners, I get excited about these things. I get jazzed and juiced about being in front of folks and talking about how we can potentially help them. I mean, my goodness, I've dedicated my life to this. And I will never forget it. It was still at the time where we weren't doing a lot of live meetings. And so the whole thing was through Zoom. And here I am, you know, I've been thinking about it for two straight days. I'm excited. There's going to be new people in the room that I can't wait to meet. (laughs) We start the meeting. My contact makes the introductions. There wasn't a smile. There wasn't an acknowledgement. There wasn't any type of emotion at all from that room. And they all looked like they'd rather be eating dirt than having this conversation with me. And Dan, if you don't think for one minute, I absolutely had to say to myself, do not let the response that this room is giving you right now affect what you do today. Oh my goodness. It was very difficult. Very difficult. All right, we got one more, Pam. One more. You want to lead it? So number four, keeping your biases at bay and probably even more important is understanding when your biases are starting to creep into your head during the course of the conversation. What would be a good example? So for me, I think my biases start creeping in when I hear things that don't relate to how we've helped others. So if I hear a prospect walk through, here's what we do to establish accountability. And it probably doesn't align with my beliefs and values and accountability. I feel it. I feel it creeping up and I hear myself saying, I don't know that that's how I describe accountability. That doesn't sound like a culture of accountability to me. And the minute those thoughts, the minute you start thinking or arguing or judging or critiquing what the prospect or client is telling you, you know, that's a good indicator. Your biases are starting to show up. And we say this all the time, Dan, the minute your biases start to creep in, it's handcuffing your ability to be able to truly gain the perspective you need to gain to help that other human being make a good decision. So before your next meetings, think about these four tactics. They are tactics. How can you use them? How can you deploy them so that they can help you have a very strong, open, honest, 
peer-to-peer conversation. In the second clip, it's my conversation with men's life coach, Ken Mosman. It's full of insights on detachment. In particular, we get into a discussion on Olympic skier Michaela Schifrin and how she had to overcome attachments to outcomes and results so she could achieve the level of success that she achieved. If you wanna hear this full episode, scroll back to episode 105, Detach from Attachment with Ken Mosman. What happens if we can start to become more self-aware of that ego voice, that, I, that, that voice that ties the million and the things that go with the million to the identity? What happens? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. And one of them is finding that elemental core, if you will, you know, finding the core of, of who you are, getting to know that, you know, getting to know that self, I'll say. You know, you mentioned attachments at the top of the call. It has a curious way of freeing one from one attachment from one's attachments. And to me, anyway, I know in my own business, it, it, it's made the process of both, you know, gaining clients, for instance, or losing them, not such a big deal. It's like, okay, you know, it's like, you know, next. And people who've been in sales for, for a long time know that. It's okay, okay, next, you know, next. It's not like, oh my God, you know, I have failed. I, you know, you mentioned the suck before. It's like, therefore I suck. It's like, no. You know, it turns, I'm going to borrow from, <laughs> borrow from speakers I've heard in the past. It's like the failure then becomes an, an, an event. It's no longer a part of, of one's identity. And ego can get so wrapped up in attachment. So there's a degree, I'm going to say a very high degree of freedom in knowing who you really are. Being able to come home at the let's say you, you know you're a family person, being able to come home at the end of a day that that where where there was an expectation that oh yeah you know I've got I've got three sales that I'm that I'm looking forward to closing today and then in fact that you lost all three of them it's like okay I'm I'm going home to a place where I I still love the people that I'm with they still love me I still know who I am I'm clear in my identity I have a strong self image that's not fluffy crap no that's that's what we call abund- abundance yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, absolutely. And it's really important to understand that these are not just airy fairy woo woo mindsets. There's a clarity about, nah, this is who I am. How can any of us strengthen our ability to listen and follow the more, I'll call it abundant, detached, high intent, the, the healthier performance voices? Well, you're going to hate this or you're going to love it. And one of them is to remove the performance from the voice. Yeah, remove the performance from the voice because then that, because the performance piece is conditional. You know, it is that, it is that if then piece, you know, the gold medal is the be all and end all. So what does that mean then? I, I think I follow you, but what does that mean when you say remove the performance component from the voice? I will give you an example. And I'm going to talk about if you, if you follow World Cup skiing or if you don't. And I'm going to use Michaela Schifrin as an example. Michaela had an absolutely disastrous Olympics, you know, which I think was just last year, the Beijing Winter Games. I just couldn't get her feet under her. 
you know, and even in, and even in, in some of the interviews, you could just see her wrestling with, you know, what is going on here? And, and including, if I remember some of the interviews, even she said, I, you know, I'm questioning everything right now. I'm questioning everything. And then if we look at her performance this year, you know, she's won a ridiculous amount of races. I can't see anyone touching her in terms of, in terms of winning the overall World Cup. She just passed Lindsay Vaughn's record for the most wins for a female World Cup ski racer, having a year that is absolutely amazing. Now it's a safe bet that she is not, and she even said at one point, you know, I'm not even thinking about this record, you know, and she talked about how much fun she was having. Again, I'm not in her head, so this is all projection, but it certainly looks from the outside like there's a recognition that who she is doesn't matter whether she wins or loses, which, by the way, makes her the greatest, <laughs> perhaps, the, certainly up until this, uh, up till this point. She's she's gonna she's only got got the last I looked she only had three wins to pass Stenmark's all time record Ingmar Stenmark's all time record she is poised to become given her age also she's poised to become the winningest Alpine ski racer ever ever big shift there if she had gotten if she had fallen down that rabbit hole of who am I without a, without an uh, an Olympic gold medal without winning one in the, at the Beijing games you know game over forget it yeah I would I would equate that too it's a perfect analogy for a top sales professional who goes into a big meeting and subconsciously or maybe even a little bit cautiously they tie their identity to the success of the meeting right. Right. They had to work hard for the meeting, right? They had to prep a lot for the meeting. They understand because maybe they're meeting with an upper executive in a C-suite. They may have little uh, room for error, right? And so then it all becomes like, okay, this is my moment. This is what I've been waiting for, right? This is what's going to show or define my ability to bring in the big one. Right. It, there's this, all these thoughts start to permeate. And then all of a sudden right now you're focused on a, the result and B you've tied your identity to it. Right. And who walks into the meeting to actually run the show? You know, is it that performative teenager who's got to prove something? Is it someone who's like, Oh, please love me. Please love me. Please love me. Now, again, really important to know, or is it, you know, and this is the other place I was, I was going to, this is where the, who am I comes in, or is it, is it going to be, I, I use this language, you know, is it going to be the conscious, mature, present adult who's able to meet the moment? You know, another key piece is who's able to meet the moment, to meet the objections or questions that are coming from that CEO without getting wrapped up in, you know, without, without getting wrapped around the axles, like, oh my God, how am I doing? You know, do they like me? You know, <laughs> and they still might not get the sale, even if they show up, uh, even if they show up that way, but they will, will have been able to walk away knowing, no, I met the moment. Maybe we just weren't a match, you know, or I met the moment and great. Again, it comes back to next. It comes, it, it really does come back to to next using your ski analogy my my takeaway is that she did she put all that pressure on herself to climb that one mountain peak which was the gold tied a bit of her identity to it because of her successes and her talent and how hard she's worked 
And then because of that, part of that at least was it didn't work out. And then after the fact, she was able to go back to more of enjoyment of the sport, more focus probably because of it. Um, I mean, that's just my gut, but... Yeah, who knows? It would be fascinating to spend a week or two in her head, though. In the last clip, we're going to make an analogy and a comparison to the dating world. Detachment is a mindset that dictates how we filter and decode the world around us. The lessons from one type of interaction can be applied to many other experiences. In this particular conversation with dating expert Dr. Karen anderson Abril, we discuss how the detached mindset comes into play in the dating world and how we can apply that perspective to our work in the business world. If you want to hear the full episode, scroll back to episode nine. That's right, way back to episode nine, Sales and Dating with psychologist Dr. Karen anderson Abril. Yeah, when you talk about standards, Karen, I think about sales. One of the standards would be stop chasing. Go have a conversation. Determine if that prospect needs your expertise or service. My instinct as you talk is that's very similar on the dating as well. Absolutely. And I always encourage us to feel that complete sense of self. It's very much, you want a relationship, but you don't need one. You know that you are complete in and of yourself. That line from Jerry Maguire was cute in the movies. It's not cute in real life. The you complete me. No one needs to be completing anyone else. And it's the same in sales, right? I'm not chasing the sale. I'm not chasing the account. And it's the same with dating. We need to approach dating from a sense of, yes, I would like a partner, but I don't need one. There's a very important distinction there. Yeah, that's a tough one because when they go into a sales call, they've worked so hard to get that appointment. They do have a tendency to have this need where I need this to go well. I need this prospect to see my value. When you're coaching individuals in your community on the dating scene, is there certain coaching techniques that you use to help them pull back from that need to either gain validation during the date or chase you know, for the second date. I love that word that you used, validation. It's sad that we feel that we need to be validated from something external, but it's normal. We often grow up feeling that we are insufficient in some way and we look for that reinforcement. And depending on our childhood wounds, for example, we may feel that we're always coming from a place of, I need you to make me feel okay about myself. So of course, with people that are in my community, I'm encouraging them to be very honest with themselves, to take their own emotional temperature, so to speak. Are they feeling that they're approaching dating from a place of, I need you to validate me. I need you and whoever I come across to validate me. Because if we're doing that, we're, that we're then turning over all the power to someone else. And our happiness is in their hands. And it could start in the first date if someone is really, oh, this person, I find them very attractive. They're very charming. I want this person in my life. I like how I feel when I'm with this person. And it's messy because it's okay to like how you feel with your life partner. That is a good sign that you will feel a, a lovely connection that has this natural flow about it. But there's a very thin line between enjoying someone's company and then feeling, I need you to make me feel okay, to validate me. So I, I coach people to be very honest, to read self-help books, to listen to podcasts, of course, to do psychotherapy. 
with someone who can help them recognize what do I need to feel full and complete within myself so that I'm bringing a, a an energy of I am complete and I'm just interested to see if we would make a nice partnership as opposed to I'm incomplete. Please validate me. There was a time in my life when I was dating and just getting into sales. And I know I look for validation for the person that I was dating. And I looked for validation from every prospect I sat down with. So if you were to sit with someone like me back then who looked at both perspectives or channels of his life, dating and in sales and needing validation, what would be some of the advice you'd give me? The theme of my podcast is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. So I approach these sorts of situations from a point of understanding the, the messaging that you have internalized, the self-talk, your inner monologue, and really sometimes just clarifying and, and articulating what you're thinking. So I would encourage you to first look at the thoughts, then look at what's beneath the thought, because every thought beneath it is a belief and a meaning that we are giving to. So something like, I really need to have a partner in my life. And then that would be the thought. And underneath that, I would encourage us to then unpack. What, what's the meaning? What does that mean? Well, because if I have someone in my life, then I'll feel better about myself. Then I'll feel that I can go to parties and have this beautiful person on my arm. And to unpack why that is so important, why you're giving so much energy to that. And when we unpack into the meaning, that's where we can make the adjustment at the meaning level. Thank you for listening to The Best of Detachment. It was a lot of fun putting it together and reminiscing about some of the past conversations. For more information on detachment, listen to these full episodes. And look out for our future best of episodes on mindset attributes such as abundance, scarcity, and more. Thanks for tuning in.